I'd invite you to take your Bibles um, this morning and go to the book of First Peter. I am somewhat nervous, so um, yeah, I do this every week, and I teach seven times a week at our at where we're from right now, and so I do it a lot. But it doesn't matter. These these guys have made the pressure really intense. So. <laughs> You guys have helped that because you've been so great and then just brought the pressure up further. So, um, so I, hope I, I hope I can deliver for you this morning. Now, this is not about me. Um, this is about the Lord, and we know that. And the elders have been made that very clear from the beginning. And, um, you know, we, we want to shine our light on him, make him look magnificent and so the, le- the, the, you know, John the Baptist said it this way, I must decrease and he must increase. And so the more we can see that as a reality in our lives and be humble and, and be really, and for all intents and purposes, be invisible. Um, the more we can be invisible, the more Christ can be visible. And so, um, so my nervousness doesn't scare me because... Because then if anything comes out good, then that means the Lord has done it, amen? So you know you heard from the Lord if it's something that hits you in your heart. Um, 1 Peter chapter number 1. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about uh, trials, about suffering, um, difficulty in life. Something that's really common amongst all of us. We all face some difficulty. Uh, a few days ago we were in the airport getting ready to fly from Omaha to Hollister. Uh, or San Jose, and we uh, had a delay and ended up missing our second flight, ended up getting here late on Thursday night. And um, throughout that process, you know, you just think about what, what is the Lord teaching me in this process? Why did I, you know, why was my flight delayed? Was it an accident? Or was there some kind of sovereign will being accomplished? Was God doing something to teach John Prettyman something? And I remember standing in a, a long line waiting to get up and change my second flight. And I talked to the um, guy behind the counter. And I, you know, the first thing that hit me in my heart was this guy's had a hard day, I'm sure. And uh, he's struggling because he's taking all the abuse for what the pilots are doing that he has no control over. And, um, and so the, the Lord kind of pricked my heart to, you know what, be a blessing to this guy. Let him know that um, it's not his fault, and, and, and you're not holding him accountable, and, and um, let him know that you believe, and I, and, I, and I mentioned this to them, I'm like, you know something, I know that you're not in control of this, but the Lord is. And, um, you know, just a little comment like that, and, and he smiled, and he kind of said thank you, and, and we went on our way, and, but those are just kind of little things that happen in our lives, and that's just a small, uh, a small trial, Right? When you read the Word of God, you find that the Scriptures are full of people that went through some, some major trials. And the apostles of Christ went through a lot of trials. Um, Paul told Timothy that those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We have that as a promise and a reality. So Peter writes about that. Both of Peter's epistles, First and Second Peter, are written really with suffering, with trials, with tribulations, with difficulty kind of at the forefront. And that's really what Peter is writing about and addressing. If you go back to Peter's life in John chapter number 20, you don't have to turn there. Um, a lot of these references I'll um, read off of my notes. But in John 20, Peter is wrestling with the Lord about what's going to happen to John and 
the Lord Jesus Christ tells Peter that his life is going to be a life of suffering. It's going to be a life of difficulty. It's going to be a life of heartache. It's going to be a life of pain. Excuse me. And then you'll remember in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says to Peter that um, Satan desires to have you that he might sift you as wheat. In other words, Satan's goal with Peter that he wanted to destroy Peter. He wanted to take away everything in Peter's life that was good. John 10, the Bible says that the, the thief cometh not but forth to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Satan's main goal in, in my life, his main goal in your life, is his, he wants to strip us of everything that's good. Um, he wants to take away the Galatians 5, the love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. He wants to strip us of all of those things that have spiritual value. And, uh, and the Bible tells us that Jesus says to Peter that Satan wants to have you in this way. He wants to steal everything good about you. And the Lord says to Peter, but I have prayed for your faith that it fail not. And the Lord's prayer for Peter is that he would, he would persevere or he would endure. And the Lord's prayer for us is very much the same. Um, all great men and women of the Bible in Scripture were noted for their trials. David was noted for his time with Goliath. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were noted for their fiery furnace experience. Job was, uh, a whole book was written about Job, and it was all about the suffering that he endured with the loss of everything. Samson dealt with Delilah. Daniel dealt with the lion's den. Jesus Christ faced the cross. The prophets and apostles faced rejection. They faced suffering. They faced death. Hebrews 11, we call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith, right? And all Hebrews 11 is is about a whole bunch of men and women that suffered. It's really what it is all about. It's about people who go through trials. And as they go through trials, the Lord does something in them, and the Lord does something through them that is notable, is um, eternally notable. Amen? Can you imagine that something that we do is eternally notable? Yet that's what Hebrews 11 is about. It's about men and women who did things that were eternally notable or significant. Thomas Watson, a minister in the 17th century, a Puritan, um, said these few things about trials. He said, the Lord may bruise us by affliction, but it is to enrich us. These afflictions work for us a weight of glory. And he gets that obviously from 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. He also says this, God's rod is a pencil to draw Christ's image more distinctly upon us. And he said, fiery trials make golden Christians. Amen? That's good, isn't it? And that's what the Lord is doing in us. And I want to read the text to you and look at about five things this morning about trials and, and may, maybe give us a, a different perspective on what is God doing in trials. Because perspective matters a lot. When you're dealing with trials, when you're looking at whatever you're going through right now, whatever you have gone through and whatever you will go through in the future, as you look at those trials and difficulties, if you have the proper perspective of that, um, you can win in it. You can win through it. You can become better or you can become bitter. But if your perspective or your view of that trial is not a, a spiritual perspective, if you're not looking at it through the eyes of the Lord or through the eyes of Scripture, it, it can be very discouraging and defeating and defeat us often. Let's read the text, if you'll just follow along with me. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, 
You'll notice that I'll also quote from the King James and the New King James, because those are the things that are kind of in my mind. Um, The Bible says this in verse 6 from the ESV. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. The title of our, my message this morning is The Trial of Faith. And I want to look at five things, um, basic, five basic principles about trials that I think can give us a proper perspective, and then we can suffer rightly, we can grow and mature and, and, um, and, and see God in these things. The first thought, if you're taking notes, is the person behind our trials. Who is it that causes our trials? I, men- I mentioned earlier that, is it okay if I move around? Okay, good. I'm just... I know there's a camera on me back there, and so I, uh, I wanted to make sure it was okay. Um, oftentimes, we look at our trials, and we think of them being accidental. We, we almost don't give them a foundation or a source. We just kind of think, oh, that just happened. And I know that that's not true about this church, because this is a sovereignty of God church, right? So we believe that everything has a purpose and a plan. The other thing that oftentimes we do is we give Satan credit for our trials. You know, we think that Satan is somehow has some kind of special power over us in our lives. He's, he's you know, um, people say it this way. Well, you know, when God, uh, when, when Adam sinned, Satan took control and God lost it. Well, we, don't, we don't believe that. God is uh, still sovereign, right? He's still on his throne. He's uh, still doing the things that he wishes to do. And, and Satan, in, in so many ways, is a, is a vessel, is a tool that the Lord uses often to bring us trials. You'll remember in the life of Job that Job... Okay, let me have your attention up here. Okay. Um, We need to pray for those folks. Amen. We need to pray for them. God would, God uh, loves them too. Um, Now I need to get my train of thought back. Sometimes we, we, uh, we kind of see Satan as the source of our trials and difficulties. But if you look at the life of Job, we'll remember that, that the Lord was the one who came to Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? And the Lord was the one that pointed um, Satan in, in Job's direction. And if you remember in the, in, the, in the first and second chapter, the Lord, literally the Lord gave Job, gave Satan some, some, some rope. He said, hey, here's exactly what you can do to my servant Job. And then Job succeeded. Job, Job won. And then, the, and then the, uh, Satan came back and said, hey, you know, if you take everything away from him, he'll definitely curse you. And, and uh, the Lord says, you can take everything, you just can't take his life. And gave him a little bit more. But you know, in, in that whole process, who was sovereign? Who was the one that was orchestrating and allowing that to happen? The Lord was. And so when we think about our trials, the first thing that we want to be mindful of is the fact that the trials that we go through, the difficulties that we go through, they are orchestrated by our Lord. They are orchestrated by our sovereign God. 
And while they're, while they're difficult and hard, and sometimes we don't understand them, and sometimes we can't understand a God who would allow his children to go through the things that he allows some of his children to go through, at the end of the day, we have to stop and conclude that our God is in control. I, I, I preached this, re, this message recently at, our, at my home church where I'm from in Nebraska, and I told our people there, I said, you know what's interesting is that God could take the trial that you're in and he could change it just like that. He could. He could literally take it and he could turn it on top, upside down. He could do whatever, just in a moment. It doesn't even take an action for God to do something that miraculous. It just simply takes a thought. And, and in order for us to get the right perspective of our trials, we've got to understand that behind them is our God. I wrote this down, if you're taking notes again. God is the, God is the author of our trials, and Satan is often the administrator of them. He's the one that's carrying it out. Satan is very diabolical. Everything that he does is evil. And he wants nothing more than to destroy, Right? So what all God has to do is give him a little bit of rope and he'll do what he can do. But God has to allow him to do the things that he wishes to accomplish. And so we see behind these trials, we see God as the author and Satan as the administrator. Let me read a few verses to you. Isaiah 45 and verse 7, the Bible says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Amos 3 and verse 6. If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? And then Job says this. He says to his wife, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from the Lord? Shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. So we see the person behind our trials. Number two is the purpose of our trials. Why do we go through trials? The term here in the, in the text um, is a Greek term. It's called, it's the, the word is dokimion, and it, and it simply means to test something, to prove something. So a trial is, is kind of like a, a proving ground for something. And um, it's a, uh, the, let me give you a couple of the definitions just kind of to help you out. It means to test, um, the, the primary meaning is to test, to prove, and the secondary meaning is trustworthy. So ultimately a trial is meant to, to test the trustworthiness of something. Okay, something's trustworthiness is being tested. I'll tell you in a minute what's being tested, but for right now, I just want you to think about the fact that a trial, the purpose of the trial is to prove something or to test something. It's like an athlete. Athletes go through trials, right? You have trial runs, and you have trial events, and all, all they're doing in all of these things is they're, they're testing their muscles, or they're testing their lungs. They're, they're testing themselves to see, am I ready for the real thing? Am I ready for the competition? So they put themselves through these trials to see if they're ready to face the, the real competition. And the Lord puts us through trials to prepare us for the, the real competition, the real um, difficulties that we face in life. Soldiers um, face trials to test their weapons, to test their disciplines, to test their comrades. 
because they want to make sure that they're, they're ready for war. Believers, according to the text here, believers, what they are, what's being tested for them is their faith is being tested. Their faith is being proven. Their, their faith is being um, seen if whether or not it's trustworthy. Is our faith trustworthy? Okay. I think we believe it is. Our faith is being tested each day in difficulty as to whether or not it's really trustworthy. Think about it for a moment. Okay? When you go through a trial, what's being exposed is what you believe in, is it, is it really big enough to get you through your problems? Is it really big enough to get you through the difficulty that you're facing? Whatever difficulty it is, your faith is being exposed through your trials. Number two, trials are meant to, trials are meant number one to prove, trials are meant number two to pain. Okay? They're supposed to be hard. They're supposed to hurt. They're not supposed to be easy. They're they're not supposed to be easy. Again, we go back to the whole athletic scenario. You don't see an athlete going out there and trying easy things to prepare himself for 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 the event. He goes out and he tries hard things. And he's constantly trying more and more difficult things. And he's, and he's putting himself through a lot of heartache, pain, suffering. He, he doesn't eat Twinkies. I've always said that, man, that's the one thing that keeps me from being a great athlete is I like Twinkies. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's hard to put those Twinkies down. But you know what? A good athlete, um, 1 Corinthians 9, a good athlete does what? He puts those Twinkies down. He doesn't eat those things. Right? Because why? Because he sees the goal and he doesn't want, he wants to be a great athlete. There are sacrifices and things. It is difficult. It is going to hurt. It is going to be painful. Next time you go through a trial, or maybe you're going through one right now, um, don't be surprised if it hurts. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, he's like, he's like, don't be surprised of the fiery trials that are to try you. He didn't say don't be surprised of the easy trials. Don't be surprised of the ones, you know. Don't be surprised of those difficult trials. When they come into your life and you feel that pain and that hurt, that is God doing something in your life. It is good. It is not meant to be easy. It's meant to hurt a little bit. It's going to hurt a little bit. And sometimes, folks, it's going to hurt a lot. Sometimes it hurts a lot. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 and 13, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you have became a partaker of Christ's blessings. Is that what it says? It says that you have become a partaker of Christ's suffering. You have become a partaker of Christ's suffering. We get to partake in that. We get to understand what he went through because, because it does hurt. That when, he, when his glory is revealed, you shall be glad in it with exceeding joy. First Peter 5 and 10, but may the God of all grace, who called us to the eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, he says, he calls his affliction. I know that I would never call Paul's affliction light and temporary, right? But he does. I mean, if his affliction was light and temporary, we can probably say that ours is probably similar, right? 
But he says, but it, why is it light and temporary? Why was, Paul's, why was Paul's affliction light and temporary? It was because of his perspe- perspective of it. It's because he saw it in light of the glory that it was producing for him. And his perspective of his trial caused him to see it as light and temporary. Can I go out on a limb and say that most of us don't see our trials as light and temporary? I know I don't. I mean, seriously, I'm sitting in the airport, like, uh, not, not being stoned and left for dead, right? I'm sitting in the airport waiting for a flight. Or in Central City, it's about like trains. You'll pull up to a train crossing, and you'll be like, oh, yes, I'm going to get through. And the next thing you know, do, do, do. No, come on. And you think, wow, you know. I've often told people at our church back home, I'm like, I think the Lord sends those trains by just to teach me patience. <laughs> and you know something that could be very true. I told our people a couple weeks ago, I think maybe even some of those trains are actually not even real. It's like, <laughs> I think I just see them there and I wait forever and, right, you know? They're just for me and nobody else. Well, if somebody ever drives through the train, I'll know that that's true. But, um, but you know, that that's... The Lord, is, the Lord is doing things, and he's teaching us things. And we can't even, again, our trials can't compare to what Paul went through, what Jesus went through, right? Can't even compare to that. But it's hard to see it with the right perspective. It's hard to see it from God's point of view. It's hard to see the future, isn't it? Isn't it easy sometimes to look back and say, hey, I know what you were doing, Lord. My wife wrote a little article on this once. She wrote on the difference between God's providence and faith. It's easy to look back and see what God has done. It's very hard to look forward and trust him for what he is going to do. But that's faith. Faith isn't always looking back. But faith is when you can look forward and say, you know what, Lord? I think you're going to do something. I know you're going to do something. Moving on very quickly. They're meant to pain. They're meant to prove. They're meant to pain. Number three, they're meant to persuade Trials, trials are meant to push us in, in a direction as well, okay? Let me say it this way. When the, when the Lord put the tree in the Garden of Eden, it was a trial, wasn't it? Okay? It was a test that they would, they would, they would choose to, to not eat that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they would choose to obey the Lord. And Satan came in, and what Satan did is Satan t- took that test, and he made it into a temptation, Okay? So here is something that God created, and Satan is going to take it. God created it as a test, and Satan turned it into a temptation. Remember this. Your trials will always have temptation with them. Your trials will always have... God is not the author of the temptation. God is the author of the trial. You know, when I said in that airport the other day, I was tempted to not be patient. Every time we face a test by which we can grow, we also face a temptation by which we can fall. Does that make sense? When you face temptation in your life, God wants to use that temptation. You know, Job's wife told him, curse God and die, right? That was a temptation. The whole thing was a test. Satan will often take things that God means as good for us and make them evil. Trials are meant to persuade. They're meant to push us. You know how much you know how when you go through a difficult trial and you and you respond correctly to it, do you know what you know what happens the next time you go through that trial? It's easier to respond correctly, isn't it? 
Because you've made that choice to go the right direction. And then you're going to make it again. But then the trial's going to get harder. And you keep turning to the Lord. And you keep turning to the Lord. And you keep turning to the Lord. And the Lord is just maturing you. He's making you what he wants you to be. So the purpose of trials, threefold. They're meant to prove. They're meant to pain. And they're meant to persuade. James says it this way. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. And then verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to those who love him. What you'll see in James 1 is you'll actually see the interchangeable idea of trials and temptations. Those who face trials and temptations properly, are, the Lord says there's an amazing crown for them. That there's a glorious reward. Amen. That's such a, that, you know, the Lord, the Lord always lays those things out before us so that we can just kind of look for that prize, look towards that medal, and know that it's worth not eating that spiritual Twinkie because that gold medal is in, it is in front of us. Amen. And I, I tell you this, I, I was a pretty competitive athlete, and I know this, that those, that is what keeps those Olympic athletes going is they have actually a mental picture in their mind of that metal. And every day they wake up and they don't eat that food that we all love, right? And they run those long distances that we all hate, right? They do it because they see the prize. Listen, we're Christians. The prize that they see is literally nothing compared to the prize that we get to see. Amen? We got this glorious prize that we're pursuing. It's, it's not visible. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 9. It, we don't look at the things that are visible, but the things that are invisible. 2 Corinthians 4 as well. We're pursuing a, a glorious eternal prize. And we will get it. We will attain to it um, at the return of our Lord. Number three, if you're taking notes again, the point of our trials Again, we, we know the Lord is the source of our trials. We know number two that the Lord is um, that we know number two that a trial is meant to test us, it's meant to hurt, and it's meant to direct us. Number three is the point of the trial. The Bible says it's a trial of faith. Now, what I want you to understand is that faith is a is a is kind of a difficult word. Um, we often confuse the word faith and believe. There, there are two words in the New Testament, faith and believe, that are very interchangeable. Um, matter of fact, the Greek word for both of them is very similar. Um, there's one difference, one distinct difference between the word faith in the New Testament and the word belief in the New Testament, or pistuo versus pistis, okay? The word believe in the New Testament is always found in the verb form, that means that it's an action. It's something that we do. When the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, it's an action. Something that we're supposed to do. When you see the word faith in the New Testament, it's never a verb. It's always a noun. Because it's always a noun, it's never focused on the action. It's always focused on the object the idea of faith in the New Testament is, who am I focused on? We, we see this a lot in, 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 uh, in our culture today with different religions, okay? You've heard of the Catholic faith, right? 
You've heard of the Presbyterian faith and the Methodist faith and the Jehovah's Witness faith and the Jewish faith and the Baptist faith. You've heard of all of these faiths. And when you say that, you're not saying that this is a Baptist belief verb. You're saying this is a Baptist system. It's, a, it's something that you're believing in. When you think of a Baptist faith or a Catholic faith, you think about what they believe in. You're not thinking necessarily about their believing. Okay? The Bible says that's what's, what's being tested when we go through trials, okay? What's being tested when we go through trials is not your belief. It's not, oh, I believe much or I believe little. What's being tested when you go through trials is what you believe in. When people look at Grace Bible Church, and they see it going through trials, they don't say, well, that's not a very believing people. Here's what they say. If you go through trials wrongly, what they say is this. What they believe in isn't very big. You see, folks, listen, our trials, we've minimized our trials down to being about, they're, about, they're not about us. Your difficulties in life are not about you. Your difficulties in life are about him. People are supposed to see how great your God is when you go through difficulty and heartache. One of our greatest tools of witnessing to other people is simply this. They go through the same trial that we go through and we go through it differently. That is the common trials, difficulty, heartache, pain is common, right? Believers and unbelievers, the difference is, is we have a God that is bigger, don't we? We have a God that is bigger. So when you go through trials next time, look at your trial and say, hey, this is not about me proving me. This is about me proving him. He's huge, right? Let me give you a few examples of it in scripture. You'll remember all these stories. They're just parables and stories in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 6. The people are all worried about where they're going to be clothed. And you remember the argument, the debate that Jesus is talking about there in Matthew 6. Here's what Jesus says to them. He says, talks about how that he feeds and takes care of everything. How much more will he feed and take care of us? And he says this, O ye of little faith. In Matthew 8 and verse 26, the disciples are in a storm with the Lord. He's in the, he's in the hinder part of the ship, and he's doing what? Yeah, he's sleeping. That's where the Lord should be, right? These troubles don't bother him at all. He's not, he's not in any way distracted by the difficulties that this world has to offer. He's sleeping in the bottom of the ship. What do the disciples come down and do? They come down and do exactly what we would do, right? Wake up, Jesus! Don't you care about us? Well, of course he cares about us. He gets up, he walks up, he says, you know, like Jesus would do, peace, peace, be still. You know, that's the, that's, those are the words that we're all looking for, right? But then he turns to his disciples and says what? Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Matthew chapter number 14, Peter walks in the water. Imagine for a moment, here's a man who steps out of a boat and he doesn't sink. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's supernatural. He takes a few steps and down he goes, right? Jesus reaches out in his marvelous grace and mercy and he grabs Peter by the hand, he lifts him up, 
pulls them out of the water and he says what? Oh, ye of little faith. Matthew chapter number 16, Jesus has just fed the 4,000. They go over the body of water and the disciples are looking around and they're saying, we forgot the bread. Can you imagine that for a minute with me? He just fed 5,000 people, right? Or 4,000. The disciples come over and they're like, oh my goodness, we forgot the leftovers. Yeah. They didn't need the leftovers, did they? You know, he says to them, he says, O ye of little faith. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan desires that he might have you, that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for your faith. The next verse, Peter says, Lord, don't, and I'm paraphrasing, but Peter basically says, Lord, don't worry about it, I'm okay. I've got this thing. Peter was often well known for that, wasn't he? You know what the Lord says to Peter? He says, oh ye, a little faith. You see, in each one of these situations, what Jesus was saying to his disciples was not this, you guys, you don't believe enough. If you just believed more, everything would be fine. Here's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. You're trusting in the wrong thing. The object of your faith is this big because you're trusting in yourself. In every case in, that, in those stories or parables, stories, Jesus was saying, your attention is on yourself. Do you know when our trials get massive? When our God gets little. Do you know when our trials get little? Small? When our God gets big. See, we've got to keep our eyes on him. So when the Bible says that your, your faith is being tried, what it's saying is, is not that you're being tried, but your God is being tried. Your God is on trial. And how do we respond to that? How do we go through our trials? How do we face difficulties? The point of our trials is that God is being put to the test in us and through us. Number four, I'm going to move quickly. The preciousness of our faith. Three things, if you're taking notes, and I won't even give any sub-notes, but I'm just going to give you these things. Number one, the preciousness of our faith. The Bible says that our faith is, this, the test of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes. This, this could be, according to Scripture, one of the most significant things, more important than money, riches, anything. The trial of our faith, or the trial of our God, is more important than anything else. <laughs> you know you, I know it's hard to imagine, but <laughs> we would like to be done with those trials, right? They're super important, though. Let me give you three reasons why. Number one, the trials that we go through, number one, they prove who we believe in. The greatest way that you and I can know if we're believers or not is how we face difficulty. It's how we face heartache in life. People go through life every day without any heartache. They don't even need God. And you know something? God have mercy on them because that's not a good thing. Most of us would plead to God for that, but that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing because what trials do is trials expose who we're focused on. And there are a lot of professing Christians. There are a lot of people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. But when it comes down to the moments of life, when it comes down to the, to the 
times in the garden, when it comes down to the times where people are saying, hey, you were with that man, Jesus, weren't you? That was a trial, wasn't it? Trials show who we believe in. They show who our God is. We might be like, you might be like me. When I get into a sticky situation, my first response is to figure out how to get out of it, right? Instead of going to the one who can get me out of it. It shows who our God is. Number two, it proves, our trials prove God to us. The more we go through difficulty and we give it to God, we see, oh my goodness, look at what he's capable of doing. And then he says, you know something? You're ready for, a, you're ready for something even harder. You, 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 look about, you look at the life of, yeah, <laughs> God, I got you on that one. You look at Job's life. He was a man, if you, take, if you take Job 1, he was a man that was solid. He was a man that was ready to face something hard. You know, there have been times in my life where I've told the Lord, I, I don't want to be Job. I'm serious. I don't want to be Job. I can't handle what Job went through. I don't want to be there. I mean, it's not easy. But the Lord brought, you, you, you look at Job 40, I think it's 42, 43. Job says this. He says, before I saw you, with my, before I heard of you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. I honestly don't think that Job regretted what he went through. As hard as it was, he knew that the fruits were what they needed to be. And everything that he had, the Bible says, doubled after that. And that wasn't the goal of the story. But listen, they prove God to us. They show us who God is. They show us how powerful he is. Number three, they prove God through us. It is the gospel that comes through our suffering. It is, let me say it this way. It is our gospel that comes through our suffering. What people see in us as we suffer. The last thought this morning is the product of our trials. You'll see it, you'll see it in the latter part of our text. The Lord says that it may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The ultimate end is this. God is glorified through our suffering. Here's the thing. It's almost like, have you ever been, have you ever been to battle with somebody? I mean, like a teammate. I mean, you, you went into like a war situation. Maybe it wasn't war-like literally, but maybe it was war-like fig- figuratively. Maybe it was like a, uh, an athletic event or something where you went to war and your teammate had your back and you guys just battled together and you ended up coming out on the, on the winning side. Anybody ever been there before? Okay, probably a lot of us have. And there's just something that's there after that, right? There's a connection that can just never be broken. Let me submit to you that when you go through a trial in life and you go through it with Jesus, there's something that can never be broken, when you get to see Jesus one day, whenever he comes back, today would be a great day, man. <laughs> There'll be a connection because you went through trials together. The Bible says that it might be found, that your trials might be found to the praise and the glory and honor. Not to your praise and glory and honor, but when you see God, when you see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you will be able to praise and honor and glorify him for the trials that you went through together. You see, it's all about the glory of God. I close with these thoughts. Be careful not to minimize your trials. 
They are important to showing us who we worship. They're important to showing us how powerful the one we worship is. They're important to ministering the gospel to those around us, and ultimately they lead to God's glory. Remember these thoughts. David versus Goliath was not about David. It was about God. Daniel in the lion's den was not about Daniel. It was about God. The three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace were not about the three Hebrew children. They were about God. Hebrews 11 is not a list of people who were great. It's about a list of people who had a great, had a great God. Isn't that amazing? We can fit into that group. We can be in Hebrews chapter number 11, not because we're great people, but because we have a, we have a great God. And I, and I would submit to you this morning that we have a great God. Amen? Michael Horton says this, suffering stripes, suffering strips us of our pride, self-sufficiency, complacency, and our oblivion to the things to come. Eternity is more deeply engraved on the rough palms of God's suffering children. And then Thomas Watson says, out of the bitterest drink, God distills his glory and our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are a gracious and merciful God. And you don't always do the things to us that are comfortable or pleasant, but you do things in our lives that are necessary. You do things in our lives that bring eternal value. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for all these folks that are here. We pray your blessing upon them, that your word would sit into their hearts and throughout this week that they'll meditate on them. We pray a special prayer for, these, for this couple that was here earlier. Lord, you know what their situation is. You know that even right now they're going through great trial. And we pray that you would be with them and that you would open up their hearts and their minds to the gospel. and You would transform them in, in, uh, in ways that you, only you can do. And um, we would know that, that they're precious in your sight. We pray your blessing upon the remainder of our service and day in Christ's name.